Please open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Today is part 5 in our series from the Old Testament book of Jonah titled Jonah, God's Unrelenting Pursuit of You. In chapter 1, Jonah is running from God. God called the prophet to go to the city of Nineveh and confront their wickedness and call them to repentance. Jonah said no. Instead of going east to Nineveh, he goes west to Tarshish. He becomes the prodigal prophet. Church, I've been sharing, whenever we say no to God, we are rebelling against God. And the devil will enable us to run. The devil will enable us to rebel. In Jonah's case, he provided a ship going west to Tarshish. When you run from God, Satan will always provide you with the transportation. Jonah thinks he's free. He boards a ship. It's sailing season, a great time to be on the water. He's off to Tarshish. Then out of nowhere, a fierce storm results in Jonah being thrown overboard. This storm was sent by God. But in his grace and mercy, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. In chapter 2, Jonah, in the belly of this great fish, he cries out to God. He repents and commits to obeying the Lord. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10 says, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I've been sharing You can run from God, but you can never hide from God. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you. You are a great God and greatly to be praised. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit today, you would be glorified through the preaching of your word. That all that you purpose, your word to do today in our hearts, would be accomplished. Every T crossed, every I dotted. Your name would be magnified, glorified, and exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, amen. This brings us to chapter 3, today's main text. Chapter 3 is packed full of theological truths and practical lessons. Uh, Please follow along as I read verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Number one on today's outline, Jonah got a second chance. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I think this is one of my favorite Verses in the Bible. Have you ever needed a second chance? Some of you. Aren't you thankful for second chances? Here's the thing about second chances God will take you back to the place where you said no. How many like second chances? God takes you back to chapter one where he said no to God. 
Look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. Verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now in in Jonah chapter 3, God brings Jonah back to the place where he said no. This time Jonah says, help me out? Yes. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to to the word of the Lord. What's the personal application for us here today? God is not going to take you anywhere until you go back to the place where you said no to him and say yes to him. Maybe you're stuck today and your life isn't moving forward. Maybe you're stuck because you've been rebelling against God and he's brought you back to that place where you've said no, but you're still resisting and you're not saying yes and your life is stuck. You don't find yourself moving forward. Don't think for a moment that you can just ignore the place where you said no and just move on from it. It doesn't work that way with God. God doesn't negotiate when we rebel against him. God gives Jonah a second chance to do what he should have done the first time. And God does that for us as well. God doesn't um, give up on Jonah and he doesn't give up on us. And for that, I'm so grateful. And I know all of us here today are grateful. He cares more for the worker than he does for the work. If all God cared about was Nineveh, he could have gotten someone else to go to Nineveh. But he wanted Jonah, he wanted Jonah to confront the evil in his own heart. The hatred towards the Assyrians in his own heart and see the great love inside God's heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things. Isn't that true, church? And and desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. While in the belly of the great fish, Jonah confronted the evil in his heart. Now he didn't have a lot of options there in the belly. I don't know what it looks like in the belly of a fish. Well, I've cleaned a few in my day, Madeiruses or fishermen, but I've never spent three days inside of a belly of a fish. I would think it's tight quarters and somewhat disgusting and stinky. Um, Jonah realized the idolatry that was in his heart while in the belly of this great fish. Jonah tells the Lord in chapter two, verse eight, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. He's coming to grips with the idolatry, the reality, the wickedness of his heart that he loves himself more than he loves God. And because he loves himself more than he loves God, He thinks he knows what's best for the Assyrians. We're no different. We all have a little bit of Jonah in us, don't we, church? And for some, we have a lot of Jonah in us. Here's a great prayer to pray. Lord, what do my hands clutch that I can't seem to relinquish? Reveal to me the idols that I still put above you. And I'm sorry for trampling upon grace every time I put something before you. 
May my spiritual act of worship be to incorporate you into everything I do. Break these hands and and let them cling to nothing else but you. God always welcomes back those who have wandered away. That's true. In the first half of Jonah, the prophet plays the prodigal son of Jesus' famous parable um, who ran from his father. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24, tells us the story. And we see this in the first half of Jonah. The prophet plays the prodigal son of Jesus' famous parable. Let me read verse 20 of that parable. And he arose, speaking of the prodigal son, and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What a beautiful, beautiful portrait of of our loving father when we stray, when we run from him. The father sees his son from afar and runs to him. The father pursues the son. When I think of Jonah, the Lord sends a storm. The Lord prepared a great fish. Like the father of the prodigal son, the Lord is pursuing the prodigal prophet. The light, church, hear this this morning. The light is always on in the father's house. That's true. That's true. Regardless of the accusations the enemy throws at you, the lies that he fills your heart and mind with, God doesn't love you. You've gone too far. If you're breathing here today, you're not far from the reach of a holy God, a redeeming God, a loving God, a God of a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth chance. Church, Jonah's disobedience hasn't canceled God's call. Stop believing the lie of the enemy. Oh, pastor, you, I can't fulfill God's purpose in my life. I I'm a mess. Jonah's disobedience hasn't canceled God's call. God uses people who have really, 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 really blown it. He has. I mean, Jonah stubbed his nose at God. Moses was a murderer. So was David. And so was this Pharisee named Saul who became the apostle Paul. Three days in the belly of a great fish, being vomited onto dry ground. Did, did Jonah come shooting out of this great fish like a torpedo out of a submarine? I don't know. How far did he fly um, through the sky before hitting dry ground? That's what our text says. He, he vomited him. He, he puked him onto dry ground. How far did he fly through the air? I, I, the Bible doesn't tell us. I'm certain Jonah arrived in Nineveh with scars that he didn't have when he left Joppa. His defiance against the Lord left him with some scars. We have some of those scars. When we run from God, he welcomes us back like the father of the prodigal 
But the son came back with some scars that he didn't have when he left the father's house. And Jonah has some scars that he didn't have when he, when he left Joppa. But he wasn't discarded. And neither are you. This is the wonderful personal application for us. In our defiance, we're scarred but not discarded. Can I hear a big amen for the amazing grace of God? The God of the second chance? God gives us a second chance and maybe you're here today and you're believing the lies of the enemy. God's done with you. No, he's not. I've blown it badly. What purpose does God have for me? Stop believing the lies of the devil. The Bible says he's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants you to be a prisoner of your failure. He wants you to be a, he wants you to be a prisoner of his lies, his accusations. God's grace breaks through our failure. The enemy's lies and accusations. Can we praise him, church? He's worthy to be praised. Worthy to be praised. The other thing that we see in today's text, number two on your outline, is the centrality of God's word. Really grit my heart while studying for today's message. The centrality of God's word in, in, in evangelizing the lost, sharing the gospel. Bringing the good news of Jesus to lost people, lost neighbors and co-workers and, and, and family members. In verse 1, the emphasis is on the word. We read, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying. In verse 2, the emphasis is on preaching. We read, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that, God, that I tell you. In verse 3, the emphasis is on obedience, obeying God's word, the word of the Lord. We read, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. In verse 4, the emphasis is on the message. We read, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The message God gave Jonah consisted of five Hebrew words, eight in English. We have eight in our English Bibles, but there are five Hebrew words. The result of this five-word message is of historic proportions. Look at verse 5. And so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the, from the greatest to the least of them. They were humbling themselves. Humbling themselves before a holy God. Let's continue reading. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd of flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. How do you humble an animal? I don't know. But the word of the Lord pierced his heart. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? There was desperation. The word of the Lord cut through 
The preaching of God's word cut through not only the people of Nineveh, but their king, their ruler. A whole pagan city of over 120,000 people believed God. The centerpiece of this incredible spiritual awakening in the pagan city of Nineveh had to do with the preaching of a message that God put into the mouth of his prophet. A prophet who didn't love these people, who didn't want to go to these people, but he obeyed when he had a second chance. The whole destiny of Nineveh's eternity depended on the reception and exposure to the word of the Lord proclaimed by the prophet of God. The words, these five words, Hebrew words, eight in our English Bibles, God put those words in the prophet's mouth. They were God's words. God's words. We see clearly the centrality of God's word in evangelism. Something that's missing today in evangelism. If any true conversion is going to take place on a small or large scale, it is going to require at its center a message that God gave. A message that God has entrusted people with. Nothing else. Nothing else. Whatever happened. 4,000 years ago in Nineveh, this much we, we can know for sure, an evil and wicked city was spiritually awakening by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the message authored by God and delivered by man, God's man, God's chosen man. A man's voice spoke, but behind that voice was the message God gave the man. How could this happen in a pagan city like Nineveh? Two words. But God. Can we say that together? But God. You never know what God will do. You never know who he will touch next. Nineveh was ripe for an awakening. They just didn't know it. But God did. God knew they were ripe. He was busy working in that pagan city long before Jonah showed up. Consider these words of Jesus in the gospel of Luke chapter 11, verse 32. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. And we know who that is. What's his name? Jesus. I believe there'll be thousands of Ninevites in heaven. This was God's moment for Nineveh. And they responded. God has a moment for you. God has a moment for your loved one. God has a moment for your neighbor. God has a moment for your co-worker. This was Nineveh's moment. And they responded. Perhaps we are closer to a great spiritual awakening than we have imagined. Perhaps. Would we dare to believe God, stand in the gap and intercede and pray? Pray for America, pray for the nations of the world, played with wickedness? Have we stopped believing that God can reach the unreachable? Have we stopped believing that God can do the impossible? Do we look around us and see how bad things, and we say, it's Nineveh? It's hopeless? 
My kids are beyond God's reach. It's Nineveh. It's hopeless. My marriage. My neighbor. My co-worker. It's hopeless. Jesus can reach the unreachable. Jesus can reach the unreachable. Jesus can reach the unreachable. Jesus can save Nineveh. He can save your children. He can save your husband. He can save your wife. He can save your mother. He can save your father. He can save your brother. He can save your sister. He can save your aunt. He can save your uncle. He can save your grandmother. He can save your grandfather. He can save your neighbor. He can save your boss. He can save your coworker. He's in the saving business, church. He's not going out of business. There's a lot of sinners that need saving. He's not slack concerning his promise. He's long-suffering. Why? Because he desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Grace, grace, such grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Jesus can save Nineveh. He can save your loved one. He can save you today. He can save you today. God uses his word. The word of God is not just information. The word of God has power in it. Heaven's power. It is transformational power. The apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth in his second letter he writes for we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle Paul pens, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Peter, the apostle Peter in his first epistle, in his first letter written to the, to the believers, to the church scattered uh, around Asia Minor because they were being persecuted, he writes in, in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, since you have purified yourselves in obeying the what? Truth, the word of the Lord through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all grass is as, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I love this promise. In Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What a wonderful promise. But the word can't do its work where people haven't heard it. Romans chapter 5 verses 13 and 14. The apostle Paul writes, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The Ninevites needed to hear 
the word of the Lord. And God sends a preacher. He sends a preacher. He sends a preacher. A perfect example of this is the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, verses 26 through 35. I don't think I have the scriptures there, but let me read them to you. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and and overtake this chariot. In other words, go to this man. Encounter this man. Not in a belligerent way, but in a loving way. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from earth. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Preached Jesus to him. The Ethiopian, after hearing Philip, preaching Jesus to him, believes and is water baptized right on the spot. Pretty awesome. The word of God is not just informational. It is transformational. Like Jonah, we have been called to go to bring the word of the Lord to people, to lost people. This brings us to our third main point on today's outline. Number three, a lesson about mission, the mission of the church. The Lord commissioned Jonah saying in verse two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message I tell you. Jonah's call to leave his homeland to preach God's word was unprecedented in the Old Testament, but this is the mandate given to all New Testament believers by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The literal command is, as you go, Make disciples. As you go, make disciples. As you leave your house, get into your car, purpose in your heart to fulfill the commission, the mission that God has graced you with. Make disciples. As you go, make disciples. As you're driving, make disciples. As you go to work and you're working with your coworkers, as you interact with your boss, make disciples. As you, as you go on a date with your spouse, make disciples. The waiter, the waitress, make disciples. The, the, the grocery clerk, make disciples. The, the mechanic, make disciples. The mailman, make disciples. 
Raising children. Make disciples. As you go, make disciples. It's not a program. It's not an event. It's a way of life for the followers of Jesus Christ. Can I hear a big amen? We're called to go and influence the world for Jesus. Not be influenced by the world, but influence the world for Jesus. And sadly, too many believers are being influenced by the world. They're conforming to the world and they're not transforming the world. Why? Because they're not going with the message of God, the word of the Lord. When you go with the message of God, when you go with the word of the Lord, it's not just informational, it's transformational. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who will believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Mark 16, 15 says it this way, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Even though we are not all called to be prophets, we're not all called to be missionaries overseas, every believer is called to go. God is ascending God. Like Jonah, we're called out of our comfort zone to share the good news of Jesus with others. Why don't we share this good news with others? One reason. We love ourselves more than we love God, pastor. No, it's because of fear. Exactly. You love yourself more than you love God. Perfect love casts out all fear. Pastor, you you don't understand. Uh, uh, they, They won't like me. Pastor, it could hurt my reputation. Who's it about? Liking me? My reputation, that hurts. That hurts. And I hope when we read God's word that we do feel pain. Because without any pain, there will be no gain. The word that cuts is the word that heals. I'm so thankful when the word of God exposes the self-centeredness of Pat Medeiros. No amens. I better keep going. <laughs> Hi, Gina. Hi, Mike. You're doing a great job with the sound. Hi, everyone up there. Can we, can we thank our tech people? I'm getting nervous up here. I'm, getting ner- I'm trying to deflect the attention. I'm getting nervous up here. Thank you, sister. There's so many lessons in Jonah, but this one really pops. Coming back to God's compassion should always bring us back to God's commission. This certainly was the case for Jonah. Thankful for the compassion God demonstrated toward Jonah by preparing a great fish to save him from drowning, Jonah comes back to God's compassion, which leads him back to God's commission, bringing him back to what God loves. People. People. You. Me. People outside these four walls. Lost people. He goes to the wicked city of Nineveh and he preaches the word of God that he gave him to preach. He went to a city that was one of the largest in the world at the time. 
In verse 2, Jonah calls Nineveh a great city. And in verse 3, he calls it an exceedingly great city. But how could that be? They didn't believe God. They didn't believe in God. They didn't know God. They didn't worship God. They, they worshiped idols. They were evil. They were wicked. They were barbaric. They, they did not value human life made in the image of a holy God. The city was the flourishing capital of Assyria, modern-day Iraq. It was the center of commerce. It was known as the highway between the Mediterranean and the Indian Ocean, uniting the east and the west. Wealth flowed into it from many, many, many different sources. God calls the prophet to the city. They boasted in their might, their power, their greatness. God calls the prophet to the city of Nineveh, what we would call an urban ministry. This is an important calling. Church, if we're going to influence the world for Jesus, we must influence the most influential parts of the world, cities. Cities. Cities contain more crossroads for faith culture, economics, and politics than anywhere else in the world. Who influences outcomes, elections, the West Coast, the East Coast, these large population centers? The nations of the world are represented in our cities. If we want to reach the nations of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, We can begin by reaching our cities. For the first time in in the history of the world, more people live in cities than in rural areas. At the beginning of the 19th century, only 5% of the world's population lived in cities, a percentage that grew to 14% by the 1900s. The number is over 50% today and growing. The urbanization of the world means the church has a great responsibility. God has a heart for the cities. He has a heart for the cities. He has a heart for the city of Rochester and Buffalo and Syracuse and New York City. The Bible is a story that begins in a garden and ends in a city. From Eden to the promised land, Jerusalem to Rome, all pointing to the great city of God. The geographical center of God's activity on earth in the Old and New Testament was not just a region or a country. It was a city, Jerusalem. The holy city would be the shadow of the great city to come where Jesus will reign eternally on David's throne. How many are looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ? I don't have these scriptures on the screen I'd like to read them to you. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. John, the apostle John, left on the island of Patmos to die, has this amazing revelation from heaven. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. 
Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold the tabernacle of God which is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Oh, how we look forward to that day. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithfully. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual, immoral, such demonic deception today when it comes to sexual morality. Does this break your heart? Does it deepen your love and your burden, your concern for lost people who are believing the demonic lie? Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. It's true. It's true. It's true. Doesn't it burden your heart for those who are who are believing the lies, the demonic lies of the evil one? Jonah was called to have compassion on a city that was a threat to his people. Church, God is calling us to have compassion too. Pray for our cities. Before we leave today, we're going to pray for our cities. Pray for God's work in our cities. You know, we who live in upstate New York must guard our hearts from hatred for those who live downstate. Let's get some legislation going. Let's get, a, let's get some bills in Congress and, and, the, and the Assembly and, and, the, and the State Senate. Let's separate downstate from upstate. For this reason and that reason and this reason and that reason and this reason and that reason. But never is it mentioned about the condition of the people downstate who are lost, deceived. And there's people upstate too. But the reality is these cities have become hubs. Centers. of a new truth. Or whatever you want it to be. 
regarding sexual morality and the like. Oh, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. My prayer is I would have a deeper, a deeper burden, a deeper pain, a deeper hurt for people who are lost, who believe in the demonic lies. We're called to love and pray for those who come to Albany and impose their liberal morals and views on us. Do we cry out to God? Do we lift their names before a holy God? Do we cry out? Do we fast? Do we pray? Do we lift their names before God who loves them? Who left heaven and came to earth to save them? He cries their name out from the cross. We cry out their names. Curse words. We're called to go to make disciples to influence the influencers with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please hear the word of the Lord. We all have a little bit of Jonah, don't we? And maybe for some, we have a lot more of Jonah. Pray for those whose faith is in false religion. Pray for a culture absorbed with self. Pray for the economic sector intoxicated with the love of money. Pray for the political sector who worships power. Pray, 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 pray. They're lost. They're lost. They're lost. There are believers here today who are believing the lies when it comes to God's truth regarding morality. We have a greater allegiance to party than we do do to our Savior and his truth. Get mad if you will. The word of the Lord hurts. It causes pain. But with no pain, there is no gain. The voice of the prophet is needed today. It's needed today. We need to hear the word of the Lord today. That's why I put that passage up from Revelation. We don't like those kind of passages. They don't give us the warm fuzzies. They make us uncomfortable. Well, when the word of God no longer makes us uncomfortable, being in the presence of God no longer makes us uncomfortable, we're in trouble. What a contrast we have in Scripture. Jonah hated the city of Nineveh. God loved the city of Nineveh. Jonah hated the city because he had a selfish and self-righteous heart. Attitude. Jesus loved the city because he had a selfless and righteous heart attitude. Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 and 38 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Would you join me standing? We're going to pick up next week where I've left off. 
I'm going to ask Brother Terry King, stretching him. Love this man. Loves the Lord, loves the word, loves lost people, loves you, loves your teenagers. He's one of our youth workers. Pastor Dan, would you give Terry a mic? And Terry, would you come up here? Terry, would you pray for our cities? Would you pray for these population areas of our, of our nation? New York City, Rochester. Would you pray for lost people today? Let's pray for our government. Let's join him. Join him. Would you, would you join with someone next to you? Let's lift our hearts and voices together in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord, this opportunity to come here and, and hear this important oh, message, Oh, God, Lord, we cry out. To really hear this important message, Lord, about the lost. And, and Lord, we, we lift up the lost to you, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. We lift up those who have been deceived, that, that have a belief in a false doctrine, Lord, that we would lift them up, that they would know the truth. Lord, we pray for... We pray for those who are out there searching that don't know the truth, Lord, that they would continue to search and continue to seek. Lord, and that you would put you would put a believer in their path, Lord, for how will they know if they're not heard that word, Lord? That we pray, Lord, that you will be working and you'll do that, Lord. And, and I lift up those, too, who have backslidden, those who have known you and have turned from you, Lord, that they would turn back to you. Yes, God. Lord, so I lift them up, Lord. I also, I lift up all... All the believers, those who call yes, themselves followers of you, Lord, that they would understand the importance mm-hmm. of the Great Commission. Lord. Oh, that you would be our first. I lift love. them up, that they would understand that that when we all take our last breath here on earth, that, that we would understand that the only thing that would have mattered is what did we do with our time here to glorify you and to expand your kingdom. Yes, Lord, that we would have the boldness and the courage oh, God. Uh, to reflect you and all that comes yes, before Jesus. us, Lord, with with all the division that's out there, that yes. we would have an opportunity, no matter what comes before us, that it's an opportunity to have compassion. It's an opportunity to show grace yes, Lord and Jesus. truth, Lord. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there is so much division. So we pray for all these cities in this world. Mm-hmm. All, your word tells us as yes, we Lord go. Jesus. So as we go mm-hmm. uh, throughout our day, Lord, that we would have the boldness and the courage yes, again. Um, even with the division, yes, that it's an opportunity uh, Lord, to imitate you and sometimes treat people in a way that they don't deserve, Lord, but with compassion, again with grace uh, and never sacrificing the truth, Lord. So we lift these cities up to you, all of us, yes, that we would Lord come Jesus. to know you, Lord. A uh, hundred years from now, nothing else will matter uh, with our time here on earth, Lord. We just yes. love you. We ask for that boldness, uh, courage, and for all of those who don't know you, the lost, we lift them up to yes. you, Lord. We ask this... Um, In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Terry. Love you, my brother. Our text tells us that God gave Nineveh 40 days to repent. God gave Nineveh 40 days of grace to repent. I'll pick up on this next week. The church age is the age of grace. It's theologians call it the dispensation of grace we'll talk more about this dispensation of grace next week but maybe you're here today as the worship team leads us in this closing song maybe you're here today you need God's grace he extends it to you today would you respond and receive his grace maybe you're here today you need a second chance 
He extends grace to you. Would you by faith respond to his grace and receive his grace? Would you confess your sin? Would you repent? Would you turn? And by faith embrace the grace that God offers? Maybe you're here today and you've never made a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you of your sin and the reality that you have no power whatsoever to save yourself. You've come to grips with this truth that religion cannot save, that religion is powerless. God didn't send his son into the world to to make us religious people. He sent his son into the world to provide us an opportunity to have an amazing relationship with an amazing, holy, incredible, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. He offers you grace today. You can call on his name right where you are. If you want to come to the front here, one of the pastors would pray with you, for you. You're here today. You need God's grace. You need a second chance. Today's the day of salvation for you. Come, come.